welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 31, COVID-19 Injections Are Screwing With Immunity, Part 4. In Part 1 of this series, I summarised the four major ways in which COVID-19 injections have interfered with the complex interactions between SARS-CoV-2 and the human immune system, then zoomed in on the first problem, the narrow and short-lived immune response that they generate. In Part 2, I laid out the evidence that the injections are causing people to become susceptible to repeated infection, most likely through the mechanism of original antigenic sin, otherwise known as the Hoskins effect and immune imprinting. And in Part 3, I described the consequences to individuals of the inability to clear viral infection that results from a limited and fixated immune response to SARS-CoV-2. Finally, in Part 4, I will set what has been discussed in the previous posts into the current global context, explaining why we now have a parade of immune escape variants of SARS-CoV-2 that are turning COVID-19 into the endless pandemic. Problem number four, COVID-19 injections prevent highly injected populations from attaining herd immunity and instead select for highly transmissible and eventually virulent variants. Let's start by defining our terms. Herd immunity, or community immunity, refers to a state in which a sufficiently large proportion of a population has become immune to a particular infectious disease to prevent widespread transmission of the infectious agent. Herd immunity provides protection against infection to those who have not yet become immune to the disease. The term herd immunity was coined by A.W. Hedrick after meticulous analysis of the epidemiology of measles in Baltimore from 1900 to 1931. Hedrick calculated that when more than 55% of children under 15 years of age had become immune to measles via contracting and surviving the infection, measles epidemics ceased. By the end of an epidemic, 30-35% to of children under 15 remained susceptible or non-immune. With only isolated cases of measles occurring, the proportion of non-immune children gradually increased. When it reached 45-50% to of children under 15, another measles epidemic was triggered. Hence, natural measles occurs in waves or cycles of epidemics, with the interval between cycles determined by how long it takes for the pool of susceptibles to increase to the level required to trigger an epidemic, two to three years in large urban centres. Despite its origins as a description of a phenomenon induced by the development of natural immunity, the term herd immunity has been hijacked by the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex, which promotes vaccination as the sole means of eradicating infectious diseases. Despite abundant evidence that old-fashioned public health interventions, such as providing clean water and sewage disposal, adequate nutrition and decent housing, largely eradicated the scourge of infectious disease from westernised countries long before before vaccination campaigns began. This hijacking reached its zenith, or nadir, depending on how you look at it, in December 2020, when the World Health Organization, WHO, changed the definition of herd immunity on its website, just before the global rollout of COVID-19 injections began. Here's WHO's definition of herd immunity from its coronavirus disease COVID-19 serology, antibodies and immunity page up until the 12th of November 2020. 
Quote, what is herd immunity? Herd immunity is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune, either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. This means that even people who haven't been infected or in whom an infection hasn't triggered an immune response, they are protected because people around them who are immune can act as buffers between them and an infected person. End of quote. And here's the version that appeared on the 13th of November 2020. Quote, what is herd immunity? Herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is a concept used for vaccination in which a population can be protected from a certain virus if a threshold of vaccination is reached. Herd immunity is achieved by protecting people from a virus, not by exposing them to it. End of quote. A little further on in that passage, another quote. The percentage of people who need to have antibodies in order to achieve herd immunity against a particular disease varies with each disease. For example, herd immunity against measles requires about 95% of a population to be vaccinated. The remaining 5% will be protected by the fact that measles will not spread among those who are vaccinated. End of quote. In a feat worthy of the Ministry of Truth, WHO attempted to memory hole nearly a century of established biology and epidemiology, not to mention millennia of human experience, expunging the entire concept of natural immunity and entirely appropriating the term herd immunity for the vaccine ideology. And a side note, did you catch the massive gap between the 55% threshold for herd immunity to measles that Hedrick calculated in the pre-vaccine era and the 95% target for vaccine-dependent herd immunity. Not to mention the fact that, as mentioned in one of my previous articles and podcasts, multiple measles outbreaks have occurred in populations with over 95% measles vaccination rates. Back to the main topic. The resulting firestorm of controversy generated by people who had actually read immunology textbooks forced WHO to alter its definition once again on the 31st of December 2020. Quote, what is herd immunity? Herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. WHO supports achieving herd immunity through vaccination, not by allowing a disease to spread through any segment of the population, as this would result in unnecessary cases and deaths. Herd immunity against COVID-19 should be achieved by protecting people through vaccination, not by exposing them to the pathogen that causes the disease. And a little later on in that passage, vaccinated people are protected from getting the disease in question and passing on the pathogen, breaking any chains of transmission. And further on again, to safely achieve herd immunity against COVID-19, a substantial fraction of a population would need to be vaccinated, lowering the overall amount of virus able to spread in the whole population. End of quote. Note how WHO predicates its prejudice against attaining herd immunity through recovery from infection on the premise that, quote, vaccinated people are protected from getting the disease in question and passing on the pathogen, breaking any chains of transmission, end of quote. But as WHO knew perfectly well, none of the clinical trials for COVID-19 injections were set up to ascertain whether the experimental substances prevented infection or transmission. And the definition of COVID-19 used in these trials was incredibly lax. Having even one mild symptom, such as a headache or a cough, along with a positive RT-PCR test result for SARS-CoV-2, qualified participants as having the disease of COVID-19. 
Peter Doty had penned a stinging editorial on the rank inadequacy of these trials in the BMJ on the 21st of October 2020, more than two months before the WHO's weasel-worded second update to its definition of herd immunity. So how's that vaccine-induced herd immunity to COVID-19 coming along? Well, the triumphant tone of the vaccine promoters has become somewhat more muted of late. Just last November, Associate Professor James Trower, who heads the Epidemiological Modelling Unit for the School of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Monash University, gushed that, quote, New South Wales is probably the best example of a part of Australia that's close to herd immunity. They've made a huge difference to the epidemic through vaccination, clearly, and that's been the major thing that's turned it around in that state. Maybe it's not quite herd immunity, but it's pretty close. We're mostly seeing daily death numbers in the single digits across the country, which is so much better than other countries have managed, end of quote. And that is from an article called, Is the Prospect of Herd Immunity Still Alive in Australia? And then we woke up and smelt the COVID coffee. I'd really encourage you to take a look at the post accompanying this podcast episode for the visuals, as it's so much more impactful to see these statistics in graphical form. But just to try to verbally describe this graph that I've embedded in the post, at the time of the last update of active COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations and deaths in New South Wales, there were 128,784 active cases, of which 1,882 had been admitted to hospital, 62 in intensive care, 17 requiring ventilation, 22 deaths in the last 24 hours. And just in the last 24 hours, there had been 13,343 new cases, cases this week, 74,131. And that was up from the previous week's total cases of 62,860, with 3,661 total deaths since the beginning of the pandemic, just in New South Wales alone. What a difference a few months and a conga line of increasingly transmissible immune escape variants makes. We've gone from headlines like this, COVID-19 vaccine key to reaching herd immunity, with the lead, now that there are multiple COVID-19 vaccines available for use, the country, that is the US, is on a path to so-called herd immunity. And another one, can current COVID vaccines get us to herd immunity? Harvard doctor says yes. And this from the MJA, the Medical Journal of Australia. Modelling shows 85% full coverage needed to reach herd immunity. And now we have this headline from The Guardian just a couple of months ago. Herd immunity now seems impossible. Welcome to the age of COVID re-infection. And another one from the Journal of Family Medicine and Primary Care. Herd immunity in COVID-19 needs de-emphasising. And another one from The Conversation. Herd immunity was sold as the path out of the pandemic. Here's why we're not talking about it anymore, (laughs) indeed. And then another one from CNN Health. Is herd immunity for COVID-19 still possible? Spoiler alert, no. But the lead is pretty funny too. This time last year, the brand new, stunningly effective COVID-19 vaccines were rolling out across the country, injecting a strong note of optimism into the United States' once-fumbling pandemic response. (laughs) Oh dear, oh dear. It's not just the failure to prevent infection and transmission that has shaken the vaccine true believers out of their herd immunity fever dream. As mentioned in part three of this mini-series, by impeding both the innate and acquired arms of the immune system, COVID-19 injections favour the emergence of versions of SARS-CoV-2 that are highly resistant to the incomplete and inflexible immune response that they generate. 
And then, as injected people exhale, infectious aerosols containing these immune escape variants are spewed from deep in their lungs out into the air. In indoor settings with inadequate ventilation and or low humidity, these aerosols can remain suspended for hours, causing new infections at both short and long ranges. As also discussed in part three, COVID-19 injections impair the clearance of SARS-CoV-2, setting the scene for extended viral replication and the development of many more mutations in the virus's genetic code and increasing the probability of variants with tropism for the lung. According to Muller's Ratchet, ordinarily, mutations that increase transmission are more favourable to the propagation of respiratory viruses than mutations that increase virulence or disease severity. Simply put, a virus that leaves its host well enough to mix with others has a greater chance of spreading itself around than one that renders its host bedridden. However, a virus that doesn't trigger a robust immune response but does cause extensive shedding of infectious virus can overcome Muller's ratchet, becoming both highly infectious and, eventually, as it continuously mutates inside its host body, highly virulent. Belgian vaccinologist Geert van den Bosch has described in detail the dire consequences of repeated booster shots on virus-immune system interaction, which may eventually pressure SARS-CoV-2 to completely break through adaptive immune defence. The likely result is antibody-dependent enhancement, the disastrous amplification of infection by injection-induced non-neutralising antibodies, which plagued earlier attempts to develop vaccines against coronaviruses. According to Vandenbosch, quote, asymptomatic vaccinees abundantly spread highly infectious SARS-CoV-2 immune escape variants, as well as other highly infectious immunogenically related viruses to other parts of the population. Consequently, in a highly vaccinated, well-mixed population, vaccinees with a mature and healthy innate immune system are now to be considered an asymptomatic reservoir for transmission of new, highly infectious SARS-CoV-2 immune escape variants and other highly infectious diseases to the remainder of the population. End of quote. And that quote is from an article called Immunoepidemiologic Ramifications of the C19 Mass Vaccination Experiment, Individual and Global Health Consequences. Remind me, are we seeing immune escape variants? Yes, we are. Quote, importantly, BA2.12.1 and BA4.BA5 display stronger neutralization evasion than BA2 against the plasma from three-dose vaccination and, most strikingly, from post-vaccination BA1 infections. Post-vaccination BA1 infection mainly recalls wild-type-induced humoral memory. The resulting elicited antibodies could neutralise both wild-type and BA1 and are enriched on non-ACE2 competing epitopes. However, most of these cross-reactive neutralising antibodies are heavily escaped by L452Q, L452R and F486V. End of quote. That quote is from an article called BA2.12.1, BA4 and BA5 Escape Antibodies Elicited by Omicron Infection. Or to translate that passage into English, the latest Omicron variants have acquired mutations that help them dodge antibodies induced by the injections. And when people get infected with Omicron after they've taken their shots, their immune system churns out antibodies that are matched to the original, now long-extinct Wuhan strain of SARS-CoV-2. These antibodies have some capability of neutralising the original Omicron, but not the spin-offs, precisely because the injections are driving the virus to mutate at an ever faster pace. 
Here's a quote from another study just to back that up. Quote, Our data showed that BA2.12.1 and BA4 slash BA5 substantially escape neutralizing antibodies induced by both vaccination and infection. Moreover, BA4 slash BA5 neutralizing antibody titers and to lesser extent, BA2.12.1 neutralizing antibody titers were lower than BA1 and BA2 neutralizing antibody titers, suggesting that the SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variant has continued to evolve with increasing neutralization escape. End of quote. That quote is from an article called Neutralization Escape by the SARS-CoV-2 Omicron Variants BA2.12.1 and BA4-BA5. Oh yeah, and variant-specific boosters won't help and will probably make the situation worse. Quote, Together, our results indicate that Omicron may evolve mutations to evade the humoral immunity elicited by BA1 infection, suggesting that BA1-derived vaccine boosters may not achieve broad-spectrum protection against new Omicron variants. End of quote. Okay, so if Van den Bosch is correct, we should expect greater spread of the most highly transmissible immune escape variants in populations with higher rates of injection. Now, for this one, you really are going to need to take a look at the post accompanying this podcast episode because I can't really describe maps to you. But if you go and have a look at that post, what you will see is two maps of Germany. Now, the first map is essentially a heat map showing the prevalence of new SARS-CoV-2 infections in the last week in the various regions of Germany. And the second map shows you rates of triple SARS-CoV-2 so-called vaccination in the various German states. And you don't have to be a total genius to recognise that the regions of Germany with the highest rates of triple so-called vaccination have the highest case rates of COVID-19. Now, you'll notice when you look at these maps, some green lines. And these were drawn in by the German academic who goes by the nom de plume Eugippius, or I guess Mansagd auf Deutsch, Ugipius. They mark the boundaries of the old German Democratic Republic, that is, Communist East Germany, which was still a thing when I studied German in high school. The Berlin Wall fell in my final year. Oddly enough, people who've lived under communism are a tad suspicious of authority, as Eugippius indicates. Quote, East Germans have direct experience with government propaganda and have proven more resistant to the vaccination campaign than Westerners. Their reward, after being much maligned by state media, is now higher levels of natural immunity and lower rates of BA5 infection, which appears to prefer vaccinated populations. End of quote. That was from Eugippius's article called Omicron BA5 Prefers Hypervaccinated Masking West Germans Avoids the Former DDR or DDR afterwards. You can also read Eugippius's explication of the progression of both the pandemic and the injection campaigns in the former West and East Germany. I have the links in the article accompanying this podcast post and as well his pungent response to the lamestream media sock puppets. <laughs> yep, they have them in Germany too. Attempt to debunk him. Again, Eugippius's post is linked in the post accompanying this podcast episode. Back to Van den Bosch's article. Quote, the resulting enhanced viral transmission rate is likely to ignite new pandemics, not only of new, highly infectious and antigenically shifted SARS-CoV-2 variants, typically labelled as variants of concern, but also of avian influenza virus and monkeypox virus, end quote. Hmm, so maybe, perhaps, just possibly, we might see something kind of, sort of, just vaguely like Australia's current horror flu season. According to The Guardian, quote, Australia has had its worst May on record when it comes to flu cases, 
the National Disease Surveillance System reported about 65,770 confirmed influenza cases in May, more than double the month's previous record, which was set in 2019. As of the 5th of June, the National Surveillance System had this year received nearly 88,000 reports of flu cases, more than 47,800 of them diagnosed in the previous fortnight. The system was notified of 27 flu-related deaths in the year to date, and more than 730 people were reported as admitted to hospital because of influenza since April. Of those hospital admissions, about 6% went directly to intensive care. End of quote. And that is from a Guardian article titled Australia's Monthly Flu Cases More Than Doubled Previous Record in May. A little side note, of course, the Bill Gates-funded Guardian pushes influenza vaccination as the solution to this unfolding disaster, despite the Cochrane Review concluding that it reduces the absolute risk of influenza in healthy adults by 1% and likely has, quote, little or no appreciable effect on hospitalisations, end of quote. In addition, a study examining the shedding of infectious influenza virus in the exhaled breath of flu patients found that, quote, fine aerosol viral RNA was also positively associated with having influenza vaccination for both the current and prior season, end of quote. That is, people who had taken both last season's and the current season's flu jab shed more highly infectious virus particles in their breath than those who had not been vaccinated. The real super spreaders are those who obediently line up for their flu shot every year. Van den Bosch goes on to propose that, quote, as currently circulating Omicron subvariants become more and more resistant to potentially virulence neutralizing vaccinal antibodies, infection by these variants will rapidly become highly virulent in vaccinees, but not in the unvaccinated, end of quote. If Van den Bosch's hypothesis is correct, here's what we can expect to see, quote, as the second viral immune escape event enabling antibody-dependent enhanced disease does not affect the unvaccinated, the proportion between vaccinated and unvaccinated people needing hospitalisation because of severe COVID-19 disease is expected to rise rapidly in the age group between 10 and 60 years. This will be the most sensitive and hence first measurable signal of the evolution of SARS-CoV-2 toward an infectious behaviour that will be responsible for initiating a massive antibody-dependent enhanced disease-mediated incidence of severe disease and hospitalisation in the overall vaccinated part of the population, end of quote. And then, quote, the case fatality rate in the vaccinated population will rapidly and dramatically increase, first in the vaccinated elderly and the vulnerable, and soon thereafter also in the rest of the vaccinated population, end of quote. Hmm, rising hospitalisation and death rates in highly injected populations, perhaps as highly injected as, oh, I don't know, New South Wales, in which currently 96.6% of the population over 16 years of age had received a first dose of a COVID-19 injection by the 5th of July 2022, with 95.1% of them having received a second dose. And I would remind you once again of the stats on active COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations and deaths in New South Wales that I quoted earlier. But let's set all that in the context of the injection rollout. Again, I encourage you to take a look at the post accompanying this podcast episode, but I'll try to verbally describe the next couple of graphs. First up, we have a chart of the total COVID cases and deaths in New South Wales, and it shows essentially a flat line of both cases and deaths up until the start of the COVID-19 injection campaign, after which both cases and, and deaths continue bumping along at a fairly low level and then abruptly shoot up. 
The next chart shows COVID-19 injections in New South Wales versus total cases. And again, we see cases continue along a fairly flat line until the total doses reaches sort of a tipping point and then suddenly cases shoot up. And then the final figure charts COVID deaths in New South Wales as a function of COVID-19 injections. And it's immediately evident that as the total doses of COVID-19 injection per 100 population go up, the deaths per million population rises exponentially. And all of these charts are from a paper called A Statistical Evaluation of COVID-19 Injections for Safety and Effectiveness in the New South Wales Epidemic. Let's recap. To fulfill Geert van den Bosch's prophecy of COVID doom, we would have to be observing immune escape variants of SARS-CoV-2 proliferating and concentrating in highly injected populations, developing mutations that facilitate greater and greater capacity to evade injection-induced antibodies until they eventually break Muller's ratchet and become both infectious and virulent. At this point, we would see not only rising hospitalisation and death rates from COVID-19, but from other infectious diseases such as influenza. So, what do you reckon? Are we there yet? Now, what could be done to avert this impending catastrophe? Number one, stop jabbing now. If you've already had one or two or three or, God forbid, four of these injections, stop. If you haven't had any yet, don't even think about it. And if you're tempted by Novavax because it's not like the others, read my article called Novavax Hope or Hype first. As for jabbing your kids, I don't mean to be rude, but you'd have to be out of your freaking mind. Two, if you've already had a COVID-19 injection, familiarize yourself with evidence-based prevention and early treatment protocols. I've linked to the ones that I recommend in the post accompanying this podcast episode. And make sure you have everything you need on hand. Ditto if you're unjabbed, but have loved ones who are. They may think you're a tinfoil hat-wearing anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist now, but they might just thank you later. And number three, support your immune system's ability to defend you against infectious disease by taking responsibility for your own health. It's not your doctor's job to keep you healthy, it's yours. Delegating the responsibilities of adulthood to authorities is how we got ourselves into this mess in the first place. If we're ever going to extricate ourselves from it, we all have to grow up and stop making excuses for why we eat crap, sit on our butts all day staring at our devices, and let our kids be propagandized by ideologically possessed Muppets. No offence meant to the original Muppets, whom I dearly love. I have a library of fully referenced articles on cultivating healthy immune function. I've linked to the place where you can access that in the post accompanying this podcast episode. You might like to start with the article called Nutrition and Your Immune System. Yep, and get outside too. Summing up, the COVID-19 injection program has been an unmitigated disaster. It has interfered with the development of robust, broad and durable immunity to SARS-CoV-2 in individuals and sabotaged the development of herd immunity. It has thrown a giant monkey wrench into the complex interrelationship between virus and host, sparking an evolutionary arms race in which what should have been a low-consequence flu-like respiratory virus is now poised to break Muller's ratchet and become both highly transmissible and highly virulent. There are many things we need to learn from this dark episode in human history, but the most important of them can be summed up in this classic number from one of my favourite bands.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.